News Power Hour. Welcome to the Biz News Power Hour, where we give you the rational perspective on business news that matters. What a show we got coming up for you tonight. Uh, more developments on those Cuban uh, water engineers, which not too many people in South Africa want. Well, not too many people in South Africa outside Latuli House want. Uh, as certainly many unemployed engineers are grumbling about it. Anton van der Bell will be talking to us in a moment. He's head of legal services at Solidarity, which is taking Minister Sisulu, Lindiwe Sisulu, to court over this and is demanding quite a few uh, issues that will make this kind of a process perhaps impossible in the future. We'll be talking to Mark Barnes, one of South Africa's uh, more colourful business personalities and the chairman of Kisby, about getting a vaccination. What's it like? How did he get on the list? Did he jump the queue? No, joking. He didn't do any of those, but he'll be giving us some views on the vaccination. Mark uh, is never one to hold back on his views, so we'll be getting some interesting insights there. And then in the second half, we've got a special interview tonight uh, with the head of the metals practice at Wood Mackenzie. They are the leading mining and resources and uh, energy risk consultancy around the world. And Julian Kettle will be talking to copper and why the prices that we're seeing at, in copper at the moment are likely to be unsustainable. Big story for South Africa, given that the supposed super cycle uh, in commodities is now with us. And this being Tuesday night, our guest co-host... Stephen Nathan is with us as well. Hi, Stephen. I uh, hope all's going well in the Nathan household. No, no Netflix um, bandwidth <laughs> being chewed up by the kids. All good. So far, so good, Alec. Let's hope the dogs and the the networks, everyone uh, is 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 obedient for the next hour and a bit. No, Thank you. It, everything looks pretty good from your side. We will be talking to Stephen about the big announcement in the corporate field in South Africa. Heineken, the Dutch company, to launch potentially a 35 billion rand plus offer to buy Distel, which is the giant of South Africa's booze industry, despite Distel having come through a very difficult period, as we well know. So there's a heck of a lot that's going to be happening in the next hour. Uh, We'll be talking also to Stephen about Vodacom and bringing in the international comparisons there where AT&T, which is the Vodacom of America, you you could probably describe it, has done tens of billions of dollars uh, by pursuing a strategy in acquiring content media businesses, which has turned out to be absolutely disastrous. They've now rolled back that strategy. Vodacom, of course, never went that way. So no problems for the South African company. You're listening to the Biz News Power Hour, brought to you by the team at biznews.com. Well, as promised, first up tonight is Anton van der Beel. He's head of legal services at Solidarity. Anton, just by way of background, Solidarity is in the news a lot, but who exactly is your constituency? Uh, well, I like good afternoon to you and your listeners. Uh, yeah, we are, in essence, we are a trade union, uh, which have developed over the years to, uh, 
type of a socioeconomic watchdog in terms of what happens in South Africa. We have approximately 5,000 members, which, uh, yeah, which is our, our constituency. And yeah, we do, in essence, trade union stuff, but at the end of the day, if there's monasters which decides to appoint Cuban engineers, then we take that up as well. So you have developed from a trade union to a more holistic uh, socio-economic watchdog in South Africa. Like an activist in a way. Yes, you can You can most certainly say so, yes. This latest issue of the Cuban engineers is something that you've been uh, busy with for a little while now. When did it first come to your notice that the Cubans were coming here, and why are you so angry about it? We heard about the matter, I think it's in February of this year, the minister made an announcement that she's going to appoint approximately 24 uh, uh, Cuban engineers to do some uh, water and sanitation infrastructure um, engineering works. So that was made a public announcement and we decided to investigate the matter. And at the end of the day, uh, we are inundated with uh, engineers, which at this moment, South African engineers, which sits without work and has no income. And yeah, they gave us a mandate to investigate the matter. And it seems to a certain extent that the, the, the decision by the minister is not only illegal, but it's most certainly irrational or immoral as well. So the matter was investigated, and then we gave the minister opportunity to provide us with some answers as to whether it is indeed legal, whether it's indeed uh, yeah, it's a rational decision. She decided, unfortunately, not to do so. So we are at this moment, we yeah, we need to go to the court. So it's unfortunate, and yeah, but at the end of the day, we have a mandate from our members to proceed, so we will do so. So let's just understand this. Those who haven't been following the story closely, there are 24 Cuban water engineers that have been brought into South Africa to help sort out issues in the water system. There are South African engineers who don't, who are unemployed, who would love those jobs, have there been any attempts to look for South African engineers before bringing in the Cubans? In the, in the minister stated in an interview, I think it's on Radio 2000, she stated in an interview that um, yeah, she looked or she there was a call to action for South African engineers to come forward and to to work on the specific projects. Uh, however, to our knowledge, no proper advertisement took place. She told on radio that only five, uh, five white engineers came to light and yeah, offered their services. And yeah, she didn't, uh, she didn't deem it necessary to appoint them. So from her, her side, it seems that she, or well, she says that she tried to get South African engineers. But there is no formal advertisement. There was no formal process from her side. So yeah, we doubt it. But the point there that you've made, these were South Africans who applied for the job, applied for jobs. At least there were five of them who somehow found out about it. But they were deemed uh, unsuitable because of the color of their skin? 
It seems so. Well, that was not the specific reason given by the minister, but she gave no reason why that specific engineers were not appointed. So the assumption that one can make is either the engineers didn't have the proper qualification, however, that was not the argument by the minister, or it was due to the fact, uh, the color of their skin. She made a point, a specific point, points on the radio that it was white engineers that, that offer their services. So it seems that it might be a race thing. It's not, uh, this, it's not, uh, uh, let's say argued by the minister that it was because of the color of their skin, but yeah, she made a point to say that only five white engineers came forward and offered their services. But, but that is baffling because the ANC, by its uh, statements, is a non-racial, non-sexist organization. Anyway, we'll, we'll, I'm sure, get more of that in time to come. But moving forward, did you then reach out to uh, Lindewe Sisulu to try and get some common ground on this before going to court, which uh, for most people is the last resort. Yeah, we wrote him oh, uh, later, about, I think it's two or three weeks back, and uh, we told her we don't want to unnecessarily litigate on this matter. Let's have a discussion. They took up the, the offer of a discussion, and we had a discussion about a week ago. In that meeting, it was agreed between the parties. I'm not going to go into depth as to what was discussed because it's off the record, but she, she or uh, uh, delegation made the specific point that they will answer to our questions and give some substan- substantive, uh, let's say, uh, uh, yeah, some, some proposals as to how this matter can be dealt with, and that would have been uh, given to us on last week, Friday, they asked for a postponement till today, end of business, uh, my apologies, end of business yesterday. Unfortunately, we have received no, uh, no substantive proposals as to how the matter can be settled or yeah, settled. And no information was given as to the bilateral agreements between Cuba on what basis the decision was made, was the base, uh, the, Decision rational was discussed with the with EXA and the like. So no formal, yeah, no no uh, proposals or answers were we got from the minister. Unfortunately, we didn't get that. And yeah, we are then it's necessary for us to go to, to go to court. So, what are you looking for in the court process? Well, first and foremost, we want some answers. The minister made an administrative decision, which she argues is rational. So if you look at the rationality test on a legal basis, then there must be a nexus between the decision being taken and the, the outcome that you want to reach with that decision. So that's uh, we want some answers. We want to see what that bilateral or the so-called or the alleged bilateral agreement between us, uh, between us and Cuba, what that entails. And then we want some answers as to why South African engineers that is situated in South Africa and at this point in time, due to the pandemic, doesn't have work, why that were, they were not, uh, they didn't have opportunity to, to look at this specific projects. So yeah, there's quite, we want some answers and then 
if the minister isn't forthcoming in terms of the answers being given, then we say the decision was not rational, it's not legal, and therefore it must be interdicted. Do you have any other insight into why there is this this flow of Cubans? We told on the one hand that the Cuban doctors came because the, they're good, they're very good. Uh, are the Cuban water engineers also, do they have a high level of professional, professionalism and expertise that they can teach us here in South Africa? No, most certainly not. If you look at the infra- water and sanitation infrastructure in Cuba, actually quite worse than South Africa's infrastructure. And it's a specific reason that Cuban engineers are not uh, registered with the Engineering Alliance, um, which South Africa is subscribed to. So there's a specific reason for that. And EXA, which is the Engineers Council of South Africa, does not accept or do not accept the qualification, the Cuban engineers' qualification. So we argue, no, there's most certainly uh, they are not qualified. We, I have spoken to a few engineers. Uh, I've spoken to an engineer today which told me there's a quite a, a extreme uh, language gap between us and the Cubans. They do not understand us and they do not understand what works needs to be done. Uh, he has also told me that the money that is being paid to the engineers isn't being paid to them personally. It's paid to Cuba, and then from Cuba is being paid to the engineers. There is second-hand information that I got today, but yeah, it's quite uh, it's quite uh, alarming if that's the case. So yes, I think this this uh, agreement and and the Cubans being uh, being sent to South Africa, I, we speculate, but at the end of the day, we think it's only the service of a bilateral uh, agreement between us and Cuba. There's no rational reason or logic reason why they should be sent to to mentor or to uh, provide some engineering works. Uh, the, their qualifications are not accepted by South Africa. So we say this is a purely paying of a, a bilateral or the service of a bilateral agreement between two countries. Anton van der Beel is the head of legal services at Solidarity. Well, I guess, uh, Stephen, we're going to find out from the courts now why there's this relationship between South Africa and Cuba, which uh, at the very least, uh, if, if, if we are friends with Cuba, well, then send them money. But don't, don't put South Africans out of work uh, when you bring people who can't even understand uh, the, the, uh, the languages that we use in this country. Yes, and maybe tell us why we're friends of Cuba. We know what they're getting. What are, what are, what are we getting? And, you know, just as I was listening to Anton, what I was thinking is uh, whether uh, this particular job title is on the critical skills visa list of who we actually can import, because I can tell you running a uh, disruptive technology type business in South Africa, uh, it's very difficult to get the the skills we really need in this country to, you know, to, to take us forward. But certainly we have uh, an excess of excellent engineers and that's not one of them. And I was also wondering where the government has to go through the same loopholes in hiring people that uh, the private sector has to.
That's a really good question, Stephen. Uh, one person who would have a view, I'm sure, on all of this, but uh, we won't t- we won't tap him on that, is Mark Barnes, the chairman of Kisby, uh, former MD of the post office, well-known in South Africa. Mark, uh, what we want to know from you today, though, is you've just had your vaccine. Uh, did you jump the queue? <coughs> I don't jump the queues. I hate people that jump queues, so I make it a habit of not doing it myself. I think it's, I think it's rude to jump a queue, particularly when you're doing someone's health in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so I mean, it's it's it was it was such a wonderful experience and one which I hadn't anticipated would be that way. Uh, where did you go? So I I put in my first application for registration on the second of February. Okay, so it's a long time ago, and at that stage it was sort of. I was sort of told, well, it's only for medical, uh, you know, people and uh, frontline personnel. But nonetheless, it seemed to have got onto a sum system. And then I registered later and, and so on. We've all registered, I'm sure, more than once with our medical aides and with the government at large. And then at sort of half past 10 on Sunday night, I get this SMS which says, hey, can you pitch up at Hillbrow CHC? Well, I had to look at what CHC stands for. It turns out it's the Community Health Center. And bring your vaccine code and your ID and whatever and your medical aid and come along. I was, it was amazing because it was on the first day. Um, so, you know, I, I was filled with trepidation, if the truth be known. I thought, okay, I packed myself a lunch <laughs> and I put, put on some sunblock and I put on a hat, you know, and I took my watch off. Okay. Well, it is Hilbra. <laughs> yeah, it is Hilbra. But and so yeah. So now, and and I was about to get in my car when someone said, "Are you crazy? Uber there and huh. make sure they drop you at the entrance." Anyway, uh, and so we we found our way through Hilbra, which I have to say is not, it's not in a good way. Hmm. And you know what? The lesson for me in all of this is we should all be treated equally, so that we are made. Brutally aware, if necessary, of the circumstances of our peers. Okay, so it was it was for me in a funny way, uh, uh, you know, useful to have to go to Hillbrow instead of have to go to Santon. You know, anyway, I got there and we were funneled off into a, um, a separate area away from all of the people queuing for various other things, and and it just it worked like magic. Uh, the only thing is that when we got there, the vaccines hadn't yet arrived, so that was a huge panic. So we all thought, oh, here we go again. But 40 minutes later, they arrived. The queue was very orderly handled. We had chairs. We were sitting outside in the shade, and we were called in in groups of six, which were divided into groups of three, which went into three separate cubicles. And the process was professional, friendly. The people who were administering these vaccines were very well trained and caring. It was it was an absolute a uh, pleasant surprise to me. And you know what? If we go looking for some more of those, I think we'll find them. A little bit like when we go to vote. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, we, 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 such a, we spend our lives looking for faults and, 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 and finding criticisms. And goodness me, you don't have to look very far to find those. Okay. And, but every now and again, you know, you get a surprise when you go and test the reality of it all. Somewhere underneath all of this difficult stuff, some things are turning slowly forward. And, and, and that inspired me. I mean, and then this, this afternoon at, 50, at two minutes past three, I got another SMS from them to say, hi, um, I'll read it to you. Dear Mark Angus Barnes, you received your vaccine on the 17th of the 5th, 2021 at Hillbrow Community Health Center. Your proof of vaccination code is blah, blah, blah. Please keep this code in a safe place should you be required to verify your vaccination status. 
It's working, Alec. Was it a Pfizer or AstraZeneca? Pfizer. Pfizer. So it's only, is Pfizer. it a, just a one vaccine or do you need to have No, no, no. I'll, be, I'll get another SMS, and this time I'm confident it will happen, uh, to go back uh, in 21 days' time from the 17th and get the second one. And then they record the actual, uh, you know, the, the, from the, the vial, if you like, from when you, when the batch number of the, of the dose so that it's all matched, and I've got a card to prove that. And, and, you know, I mean, only days before I was wanting to tweet, goodness, you know, we're the worst vaccine guys in the world, which is not far from the truth, okay? And then, and, and maybe for all of us, there is a dawn coming, you know. We, we, we have to sit it out and we have to wait. But it was a pleasant surprise, and everyone in the queue, I was older than we'd like to be. <laughs> I only got into this. the first time I've got into a queue because of my old age. Okay. <laughs> which is, which is another status. thing you have to get to peace with. <laughs> but, but, but everyone was on the same page. People were there with their parents or whatever. Uh, the sisters and the nurses uh, were, were looking after us. And, and it was a jovial, celebratory spirit, which was totally unexpected in the center of, you know, Hell's Kitchen, which we call Hillbrow. Yeah. Mark, uh, you know Hillbrow well from your youth? I do. I lived there. And One you... Velma Court. One Velma, which road is that? It's the main road which goes about two streets from the uh, from the, the, the main drag. Um, yeah. Would you live In there a now? Little... Hey? Would you, would you live there now? <sighs> no, you know, of course, if I had the choice, I, I wouldn't live there now. But, but, but the correct thing is, can we make it livable now? Mm. Okay. Mm. You know, because I, for the most part, um, my senses and all the people that, that warned me of, of the fate of no, you know, less than death that was awaiting me should I venture into such a place is that it's predominantly occupied by a lot of foreign, uh, a lot of foreigners. The, the, the streets are in an absolute shambles and the rule of law seems to be is is on the street, not you know, not in any some system. Until you go past the gate into the system with which which I went into and then it was completely different. But out in the streets it's not a pretty place, Eric, and it's not acceptable that it's not a pretty place. And we can't let it rot in its own mess. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think more of us should stop going to Santon and start going to find out where the real people live, if I can call us that, and I include myself in them. And 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 then we might start realizing how wide the gap is and how much we have to do to close it. Well, people who live in the south of Johannesburg say say the gap has been uh, between the north and the south has been has been a chasm forever. Uh, yeah, so well, just, these gaps it. tend to be on the Arpies, you know, the Budavos Hordain. And the suburbs are switched around in the Cape. It's the north and the south in a different kind. Anyway, but, we, we always have these differences, but they don't have to be such chasms. They don't have to be such divides. Once again, it, it appears what you saw today is what uh, Bobby Godsell was saying on a, a recent program, recent interview I had with him, that we are blessed yeah. by our people in South Africa. We, we're continuously surprised by the resilience and the ability of our people to overcome all kinds of circumstances. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think we reflect often on, enough on how tough we are and how much we've lived through together in one and apart and, and how we can cope with problems and how we make a plan, you know, and how on the ground level, in my view, 
the issues around racism and gender differences and and all of these things that divide us in the public domain are not that strong. We don't wish them upon each other when we engage face to face, you know, as human beings. And, I, you know, I promise you, I get goosebumps talking to you about it, man. You know, you're sitting there in a queue. The, 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 the queue is as diverse as our country is. Uh, the, the, the staff are engaging. they impartial as between who you are, how old you are, what sex or race you are. And, and you go, okay, this is what we planned. This is what we voted for. There are microcosms of that which we need to feed. And there are uh, masses of the opposite which we need to destroy. Now, Mark, I know we, we aren't going to really talk much about Kisby, but just as a as a as a parting shot, mm. uh, you are the chairman of Kisby. We've discussed mm. uh, the, the Kisby SME fund for some mm. time. Is this exactly what you would be trying to promote in that fund? Yeah, I, I think we'd be investing in more established companies, but they would find their inputs and they would find their, their future employees in such a place and be able to draw them out of such a place if they had the right mix of capital which enabled them to grow their businesses. Uh, you know, and so we wanting to, we wanted to look at more established businesses with the right mix of capital because the cost of capital, uh, in the real economy as I've termed it, uh, is exorbitant and there are still people making money at rates of interest five, ten, twenty times the sort of commercial rates. Imagine if we lend the money at the right price, how they could grow and in so growing could create unemployment. The unemployment stares you in the face as you drive through Hilbert. Okay. People standing on their balconies in their droves, young, old, across the spectrum. Okay. People walking around the streets without jobs, lots and lots of beggars. It's not sustainable. And we need to go there and find the solutions there. And we need to take capital out of the established markets and put it where it's needed to grow, not where it's happy to rest. Our guest co-host tonight is Stephen Nathan, who I'm sure you've uh, you've uh, engaged with uh, in the past. Uh, Stephen, a, a lovely story, uh, uplifting story that Mark's given us about the uh, the experience with the vaccination, and who knows that could be an upside of COVID nineteen. But what about the views that he's made about as as a nation, we need to open our eyes and see those pockets which are not doing that great. Yes, it's great to hear Mark's. Uh, Good experience, and you know, I was thinking this uh, the Sasanki uh, vaccine program. It's a partnership. It's collaboration. So it's 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 the government working with great stakeholders, and I think that's a big lesson. You know, government can't do it on its own, and if they open up to the private sector, I think uh, the, the private sector and NGOs there's an there's an enorm, enormous willingness to move forward and to work together. And if we can embrace more of these. Uh, partnerships, I think we can get uh, you know similar similar results. You know, and there's 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 no question that there's enormous potential in South Africa, uh, and it's you know how do we unlock that? That would be one way. Just reflecting on on what Mark was saying, I mean, it's always a challenge with credit because you know credit, the 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 companies who don't really need credit uh, and have the highest margins have the lowest borrowing costs, and the entrepreneurs or the people that are outside of that net uh, who need it the most have the highest borrowing costs. So, you know, that is an enormous challenge. So if we can, if we can funnel it correctly uh, and if we can get more collaboration going, uh, I think we all know the potential uh, for economic growth, for inclusivity in the economy, for reducing unemployment. And as Mark says, I mean, you know, there's nothing more depressing than seeing willing and able people sitting on the side of the road, not, you know, 
not having uh, employment opportunities. It is a long game. And last night, Peter Major, who came to South Africa 40 years ago uh, from North America, said to us that he feels, Mark, that the government has never been as better uh, directed or positioned in the 40 years he's been in South Africa as it is right now. Is he exaggerating? Well, you know, I, I haven't seen what he's seen. Okay. Um, but I would say this, though. We are at a point in our uh, outlook where we can, where we can consider it a, a base. But I wouldn't say that we're, we're, we're up and flying by any stretch of the imagination. But what, what we could say is that surely now we've recognized, as Stevens pointed out, the need to embrace one another, to hold hands and to, and, and, and to form partnerships that, that go beyond, you know, as I, as I said in a tweet some time ago, we, we better start loving our future more than we hate our past. Okay. And, and, and so we might be well placed. We might be seeing lots of things being shed. But I wouldn't argue we're out of the woods at all from a government perspective, no. Mark Barnes, the chairman of Kisby, and uh, sharing with us uh, an uplifting experience about vaccination, but with a little bit of sobriety ended in the end, uh, or provided in the end there. We've got lots of work to do. We are a resilient nation. We have major challenges. But it's nice to see that at last we're at least working in the right direction. You're listening to the Biz News Power Hour, brought to you by the team at biznews.com. Well, it's the top of the hour, six o'clock here in uh, our sunny South Africa. It's amazing, actually. Uh, Stephen, if you think about what happens in South Africa during winter, uh, having spent three years in the UK when we were setting up our business there, this is like uh, midsummer weather that we're having in late autumn. No, it's, it's fantastic. My, my brother-in-law, uh, he actually moved to London last August, uh, and I've got another good friend who's over there, and I, was, I spoke to them in the last week, and they are absolutely freezing because I asked them, I said, well, you know, what's, what's it like working from home? How's the view? And they said, well, we can't really see anything because the weather is so, uh, is so lousy. Uh, and I almost felt a little bit guilty, but not, not too guilty sitting even in Cape Town. I mean, Cape Town, uh, the mornings are quite cold, and it does get dark a bit later. But uh, it's been absolutely beautiful days. And you know the amazing weather that we get on the Highveld. It's, it's not just the people that are great in this country. The weather is unbeatable. But let's find out how the news has been today, hopefully unbeatable too. Here's our editor-at-large, Jackie Cameron. South Africa is finalizing legislative changes that aim to narrow the earnings gap between company executives and the lowest paid workers. This is according to Trade and Industry Minister Ibrahim Patel. He told Parliament on Tuesday that a further amendment to company law is required to tackle the gross injustice of executive pay. He says a new bill will be finalised within two months. This bill will require disclosure of wage differentials in companies, stronger governance on executive director pay and enhanced transparency on ownership and financial records. Heineken, the world's second largest brewer, is in talks about a takeover of South African wine and spirits maker Distel. Heineken approached Distel about a possible acquisition of most of its business. Distel shares jumped as much as 10%, hitting an intraday record. Labour union Solidarity has announced it will serve court papers on Minister of Human Settlements, Water and Sanitation, Lindy Wissusulu, over the use of Cuban engineers to help fix the country's water crisis. 
Solidarity says the legal process would be seeking the disclosure of information and an interdict to stop the deployment process of the Cuban engineers. It is also lodging an application for a review of the government's decision. Namibia has banned all imports of poultry and poultry products from South Africa. This follows further outbreaks of avian influenza. Last month, Namibia suspended imports from one commercial egg-producing chicken farm in Akuruleni, east of Johannesburg, after the death of around 300 birds. South Africans should expect load shedding all through winter. That's according to power utility ESCOM. It blames breakdowns at 10 units at 7 power stations. And that was your Biz News Flash Briefing. I'm Jackie Cameron for Biz News. For more on those and the other big stories of the day, do go to biznewsradio.com. 12 Cape is a leading Section 12J investment fund that allows you to deduct 100% of your investment from taxable income. Yep, it is the 12J scheme, and it's coming to an end at the end of June. And you literally can do that. What you put into these 12J companies, you deduct immediately off your taxable income. 12 Cape is a registered, unlisted public company which owns and grows a portfolio of prime assets in Cape Town, operating as Latitude Apart Hotels. We have a webinar with them tomorrow at 12 noon to register for it, and it is free to everybody who would like to find out more. You can go to the biznews.com homepage, look down the right-hand side, and you'll find a block for the webinar. Click on that, and away you go. 12 Cape, we're proudly local and world-class, live in the same sentence. BrightRock believes that with every change in life comes opportunity, and the markets aren't any different. The daily movements in the markets mean change for us all, sometimes small, sometimes big. This daily market report is made just for you by BrightRock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. Nadia Swat, my colleague here at BizNews, has got today's market update. The JZ Auger index was flat today at 67,200. Telcom increased by 14% to 44 Rand per share. Distal increased by 5% today to 150 Rand per share. Bidvest also increased by 3% to 180 Rand per share. And Nasdaq decreased by 2% to 3,000 Rand per share. And in the currency markets, the Rand was stronger against all the major currencies with 14 rand to the dollar, 19 rand 86 to the pound, and 17 rand 10 cents to the euro. Gold is up at $1,868 an ounce. Brent crude is down at $69 a barrel. And the premier cryptocurrency will put you back 610,000 rand a Bitcoin. 610,000. It was 950,000 just the other day, Nadia. Thank you uh, for updating us on the market. Stephen Nathan, uh, just to pick up on the big one there, Telcom up by 4%. We're going to talk in a moment about the Heineken proposed uh, offer, because that's about all it is at the moment, to buy Distel. But that was on a trading statement from Telcom. It seems like they're getting their act together, and maybe they also uh, got some support from uh, Vodacom's financial results that were released today. Yes, Alec, I think that, uh, you know, Telcom is doing the right things. So they've also uh, focused on cost cutting. So you'll recall, I think everyone will recall, Telcom is an old state-owned enterprise, and it shows what can be done uh, when you privatize state-owned enterprises. They can stand on their own two feet, and they can compete in, a, in an incredibly competitive Telcom space with great companies like MTN, uh, Vodacom, and then, you know, Celsi, Rain, and others. So it shows you what, 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 what can be done. 
Uh, I guess the challenge with telecom really is to uh, to move from a fixed line operator into a mobile operator. And as we'll see with the Vodacom, even the mobile operators, the best years in that core business are behind them. But certainly telecom is doing a really good job. And it was very surprising. I think the, the share was up 14% on the day, Alec, which is you know, an incredible move from that, uh, from that one trading statement. And there was a, a similar move early on, at least, uh, in Distel on the news that came out this morning that Heineken is keen to make a bid. I had a look quite ca- uh, carefully at what the statements were because this is, this is a big deal. Heineken is a uh, 57 billion euro company from the Netherlands. Distel, if you translate it into bureaus, is only 2 billion euros. So uh, about 4%, not even 4% of, of Heineken in, in terms of value. Also, Distel is controlled by Remgro. Remgro's chairman is Johan Rupert, who operates on a global scheme. You cannot believe that Heineken would have launched this bid with at least a couple of discussions with Johan Rupert. And indeed, the statement that came out from Heineken in uh, Amsterdam said discussions are ongoing. But note there can be no certainty that an agreement will be reached. Discussions are ongoing. They haven't just sent a letter to say, hey, we want to buy the South African company. They're talking. So something's happening here that uh, might be a little more advanced than just the bold statement. Yes, exactly right. I think that uh, Remgro, uh, the Rupert uh, Control Company, owns about 30% of Distel. And I think the PRC also owns about 30%. So, so Heineken is not going to do a deal uh, unless they have at least, well, they, they're going to need both of, of, of those shareholders to approve a deal because their stake is large enough to block a deal. So, you know, it clearly makes sense that they would be talking. Uh, and it's wonderful to see uh, foreign interest in South Africa yet again. I mean, this is another example of potential, you know, a significant uh, investment. And you know, when you're looking to take control of a company, you know, th- th- that's what we term a direct investment. It's a it is not a portfolio flow. It's not a uh, an investor having a view which may be a short term view, and they can you know sell in and out quite quickly. Um, so this is a big vote of confidence, and it's interesting, as you say. I mean, I was just thinking from a Heineken perspective, are they looking at Distel's products? Uh, Distel's got some great uh, South African products that they could uh, take internationally through their distribution channels. Or are they looking for Heineken to dent uh, SA breweries in South Africa because uh, the dominance of SAB in South Africa is legendary as well? So it certainly is a very interesting deal, but an enormous vote of confidence in South Africa. I like the the positive approach that you've made there about South African products being able to go through the Heineken distribution system into the rest of the world. That's that's a part of it that we don't often pick or think about when there's a foreign company that's looking to buy a, a South African business. But one thing that has to worry you a little bit, Stephen, is the way the share price has been moving. Now, it, it's up almost double in the past year, and it started moving from around 120 rand a share to, well, just before the, the offer, it was sitting at 150 rand a share. Uh, well, that's where it closed today anyway. Uh, and that is since February. Now, if you think that there would be discussions, there were discussions, it doesn't matter how secret you try and keep them. Somebody winks at somebody else or somebody hears something. 
How how is it that uh, and and you know this world far better than ninety nine point nine percent of the rest of us? How is it that when you when people are working on a big deal like this, that they keep it secret, or or when do they decide to make the announcement like they did today? Uh, well, um, you know, one would hope that the professional advisors and everyone uh, who is behind the what we call the Chinese wall. So anyone who's privy to price sensitive confidential information, one would hope that, you know, that, that, that they respect it. And as you say, uh, this can be difficult, you know, with conversations and, you know, there's been some horrendous uh, uh, breaches of uh, price sensitive information when uh, advisors actually have dinners in restaurants and, you know, whoever knows who's eavesdropping next year. I heard of one case, I'm not going to mention that company, but it's a very well-known company where in New York, uh, the advisors were out. They were at a, a restaurant in New York, which was to do with a South African company, and they were talking quite loudly. And I know someone who overheard them and actually told me about this. So you've got to be incredibly careful. But when there's any risk of this leaking, uh, then obviously there's an obligation on the parties to disclose it. And in this case, for Heineken, I'm not sure about the materiality for them, but certainly for Distel, you know, this is a material transaction that you know that they would have to disclose if there was any risk of that getting into the public domain. And as you say, uh, you know, the price action often before a deal is announced, you know, the market seems to be telling you something before uh, there's any uh, official uh, uh, confirmation of that. And that's something for the surveillance department of the JC and the regulator to look at. But I must say it's surprising uh, how few people are ever convicted uh, or charged for insider trading relative to, the number of cases we see with action with just, you know, uh, ahead of announcements that does look uh, like somebody knows something they probably shouldn't know. That's why we have technical analysts who watch the volumes and they watch the price action and then come to their own conclusions on the assumption that something's happening that hasn't been disclosed yet. Uh, Vodacom, to close off this market report, uh, we saw the year-end results coming from the company today. It has to be a big relief when the guys at Vodacom look over the ocean to AT&T and the massive destruction of shareholder value that AT&T has uh, caused through going into uh, the content media business, uh, which today, it's now three years later, has now hived off uh, the, its content media business at losses of tens of billions of, of uh, dollars in shareholder value uh, after realizing that distribution and content media require two very different cultures. Vodacom didn't make that mistake. They moved into, or, or their, their drive has been more into financial services, and it does seem to be paying off, Stephen. Uh, yes, it is. As you say, I think that uh, at least our telcos companies have been a lot more conservative in the U.S. Uh, you know, there's been lots of examples of the U.S. of the jumping on the bandwagon of convergence between media and technology and distribution, and most of those have ended in tears. And it's the the disruptors like the Netflixes that have come out of nowhere to dominate uh, to dominate the media space. Um, so Vodacom has done well. I mean, it's very very solid results. If you look at their you know, their revenues are up around 4%. Uh, they're growing their profits at about 4%. And the guidance they've given has been for to expect profits in the low single digits. They've upgraded that to the high single digits. But, you know, so it's a solid company, but no fireworks. And as you say, if you look, if you segment the business, their traditional uh, prepaid contracts is falling. 
So the revenue that they're making from voice uh, is falling, those traditional contracts. And where they are growing nicely is in the financial services space. I think the financial services business was up about 19%. So that is very good growth. They are quite bullish on the potential to become a super app like an Alibaba. Uh, and I guess a 10 cent as well would be in that where you kind of your your customer lives in your app and they you know, not only do they do their, uh, their communications or their chatting, uh, they also do their shopping and their banking and their investing. I think there's a long way to go before that, um, but uh, they certainly are running a very solid business. And I think the last point that's really interesting about Vodacom is that their, uh, their margins are quite fantastic. Their, uh, their EBITDA margins 40% and their operating margins is 30%. You know, so these are incredibly profitable businesses, enormous cash flows. And the challenge for them is that their core business is under threat. How quickly can they diversify into financial services uh, and compensate for that? On the one hand, they have an advantage because of the, the technology they have, the mobile phone, the networks. Uh, they have something like the numbers are quite astounding. I think they've got about 40 million contracts in South Africa. Uh, a lot of people have more than one contract. So whether they can uh, convert that would be interesting. And maybe the last point on that, Ali, from my side is, you know, if you look at financial services, it seems to be when all else fails, go into financial services to make money. Uh, you know, um, the, the banks are there. They're under enough competition from, uh, you know, Discovery, Time Bank. Uh, we know Bank Zero is coming into that space. Capitec has done a fun, you know, fantastic job. The retailers are getting into financial services uh, and the telcos as well. So, uh, you know, one, one, one wonders how much money uh, there is to be made uh, in that. Um, but certainly, the, you know, uh, we know that financial technology is on the up and there are going to be winners and losers. So it's an interesting space to watch. Stephen Nathan, and uh, before that you heard our colleague Nadia Swart, and this market report was made just for you by BrightRock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. You're listening to the Biz News Power Hour, brought to you by the team at biznews.com. Stephen, let's just move on to something that uh, I've, I've been really, really keen to talk to you about, and that is on the whole financial services side and, uh, and the, the democratization, as it were. I, I know it was in the financial results from Vodacom where they spoke about uh, Safari, uh, Safaricom. They spoke about how they are now going to be launching an app, uh, and the app is going to – it's a super app that, uh, that they have – in partnership with Alipay, um, where they're going to uh, allow peer-to-peer payments. So, in other words, if if you you uh, if I owe you money, I can I can send it to you via the app and repay it. Uh, they can you can borrow uh, through the the app there. As in other words, take out loans, and you can save money into it for all uh, purposes. And that the whole financial services sector. Uh, we see Michael Jordan's Bank Zero looking to come in as well. Uh, we also have the uh, Time Bank, which seems to be making quite a lot of progress. Now Vodacom saying that they're about to get into the action as well. It seems as though uh, this cannot be a great environment for the incumbents. Or is or, or do they really w- worry about it? Uh I think the incumbents worry about lots of things. Um, you know, running a, a bank, the legacy in a bank, and how we, we talk about legacy, you know, we're talking about, I guess, legacy infrastructure. 
So their whole branch network and where those branches were and the demographics have changed a lot over time. We're talking about legacy technology, the mainframes, their technology, uh, it's, it's, it's very old um, and legacy products as well. Uh, and when you put that when you put that together, it means that you know banks have got to spend an awful lot of money uh, just to maintain the status quo. Plus, they've got technology costs which are rising, so you've got to have uh, an online presence as well as an offline presence. And the cost of your online presence does not uh, does not reduce. There's not a proportionate reduction in the cost of your offline presence. Uh, it's very difficult for banks to do that. Plus, technology, cybersecurity is a big issue, and regulation is a big issue. So it's very very challenging. And in, in in addition to that, uh, South African banks have been operating in a low growth environment. So that's not great for a bank. A tend, bank tends to be a leverage play on the economy. Uh, and then you've got some really smart incumbents. You've got incumbents in the traditional banking sense. You've mentioned Discovery, Time, and uh, uh, Bank Zero. Uh, or I guess they wouldn't consult, uh, be, be traditional competitors. But um, And then you've also got the technology competitors like a Vodacom. So it is a very challenging time for them. Mm. So if you have a look at the, the whole scenario as an investor, we know that First Rand, for instance, is a, is a high-quality, uh, innovative bank, and I use the app. We bank with them in the business, and they're brilliant. They're as good as anything in the world. So they seem to be okay. Capitec is continuing to grow, uh, and it is, it's got, also got a brilliant product. But outside of those two you you have to start wondering where the others are going to be able to, uh, well, A, hold on to their current business or see off these very aggressive newcomers, uh, which include Vodacom. Uh, yes, I would, you know, I would agree with you. As I, uh, I, th- I think if I was running one of the big banks, you'd look at the macro economy and you'd say, well, you know, is the macro economy going to grow? Because as I said, you know, banks, it's very unusual for a large bank to do well in a poorly performing economy. So there's almost something that is beyond their control. And if your outlook uh, for the economy is not that great, then you're going to have to do something quite, quite radical. Uh, and I guess that's, you know, that is going to be the challenge for these banks is can they do something quite radical to defend their turf and to reinvent themselves and to make themselves far more relevant for, for customers? Because the digital uh the, the digital banks, I mean, I signed up to Capitec and to Time Bank and the onboarding experience, the customer experience was exceptional. And I doubt the big banks are going to be able to, uh, to match that. So the question is, you know, how can they still be relevant to their customers uh, and how can they do that at a price point that is attractive enough? So those big banks have got to have got to have really got to look at themselves. I guess one of the good points about the banks was if you look at fintech globally, uh, you know what has happened is if you went back, let's say five, ten years ago, the view was that well, someone in their garage is going to develop this fantastic uh, fintech application and going to you know take market share away from the incumbents. That never happened because what happens is that while fintechs are really good at innovating, developing new technology, and being agile. Uh, they can't acquire customers because acquiring customers is very expensive. And the big banks, uh, they're not very good at innovating, but they have customers. So if you can marry those two, and I think that's what the banks have got to do. They've got to look for really great partners. Um, That does uh, involve a changing culture. It's from a kind of command and control culture to a partnership culture. But they have to, in my opinion, they have to do that. 
Otherwise, they will become irrelevant. Uh, and I think they will die slowly. As someone said to me, dinosaurs die, but they die slowly. Uh, and at the moment, a lot of these banks are looking like dinosaurs. So if you uh, were to take your next challenge as a CEO of a South African bank, and let's just look at those who've got the biggest challenges, um, would you uh, be implementing uh, that kind of a, a, a aggressive approach? Well, I'll tell you what, th- hold on to that, uh, hold that question, because we've got Julian Kettle with us now. He is the uh, Senior Vice President at Wood Mackenzie. Uh, do you know much about Wood Mac, uh, Stephen? Just very high level. It, it is one of the, uh, the it, it is a, a company that uh, is regarded around the world as the leader in research in mining and in the uh, in in, uh, in in the energy field. And Julian, good to good to have you with us on the program. We have read through the blog that you sent out today about copper. Now, South Africa is yes. well endowed, as you well know, with with many minerals. But copper isn't one that until recently has been on our radar, although there are quite a few copper mines that are being brought back into production. Uh, maybe after reading your blog, which, which says uh, this, this might not be the smartest move, given that copper's price uh, might not be sustainable. Hello? Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah, yeah sure. Hmm. Well, sure. Look, I, I wouldn't want you to, to go away thinking that copper isn't going to do very, very well out of the energy transition. The, the, the question I'm asking is whether uh, $11,000, $12,000 a ton is sustainable for copper, um, particularly when you consider that um, whilst copper is, is, is obviously a preferred material in a number of applications, it does have a strong competitor in, in aluminium. Um, and, and really, I'm kind of setting my sights at some of the what I think are fanciful forecasts of copper prices. I mean, the latest one this week was a forecast of copper prices going to $30,000 a ton. Um, and, 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 and at those sorts of levels, you will get significant demand destruction. How does it work? We, we know that there's substitution uh, in the minerals field, but how... Uh, at what kind of level does aluminium start becoming an appealing alternative to copper? Yeah, well, well there's, there's a couple of things. Obviously, um, there's the, 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 the price issue, the relative price issue. So all of the things being equal, when the copper price moves above three times the aluminium price, that's when historically we've seen substitution occur. Or put another way, you start to see thrifting and lost growth opportunity. So if we think about the last super cycle, uh, copper lost 2% market share to aluminium uh, when prices moved above $3 a pound. And if you look at where copper is now, we're in the $4 to $4.50 range uh, without aluminium prices having been boosted. So if aluminium prices were incredible, if aluminium prices were at three and a half to four thousand dollars now, then copper would would have no problem. So we're not really learning from past mistakes. No, we um, history has a has an unerring ability to repeat itself. <laughs> so, so how are you reading this going forward, Julian? Should we be stocking up on aluminium stocks and aluminium futures and uh, and being wary of copper? Well, no. Look at the, 
Copper is going to do well. There'll be, uh, if you think about whether copper prices are, whether or not you believe they'll be sustainable at twelve, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000, the reality is demand for copper is incredibly strong. And so if you're looking at copper miners, they will do very well nicely. They will do well at $8,000 copper, $9,000 copper, $10,000 copper. Um, so uh, I, I wouldn't say that we should um, necessarily be looking at aluminium versus copper stocks. I would, I would always want to have copper in my portfolio given it's at the nexus of the energy transition and indeed a number of existing uses. But I think we shouldn't discount aluminium uh, having uh, d doing well out of the energy transition as well. I'm not sure if you cover uh, Huliman or uh, follow Huliman here in South Africa, which is our only aluminium play. It, it's issued its annual report today. I haven't had a chance to read through it yet. But if you... If you do, the, what you've outlined to us is perhaps we should be reading that annual report very carefully because it is a stock that's come under a lot of pressure. Yes, no, absolutely. Um, and, I, and I suppose the, the, um, the question that, that, that I'm often asked is, um, A, is there a super cycle? And I say, well, not yet. Uh, will there be a super cycle? And I say, well, there will be commodities that will exhibit super cycle characteristics. But not all commodities will benefit to the same degree. And in fact, some commodities won't do well at all. So, for example, thermal coal. You know, if the energy transition accelerates, thermal coal will get hit the most because the whole point is a low carbon world. Mm. Uh, is, okay, I've got to ask you that question. I was keeping it for last. Uh, are we in a super cycle? Um, uh, okay, the analogy I'll draw, you, you're taking the kids on a long journey in the car, half an hour in, they say, are we there yet? And you say, we're not there yet. It's a five-hour journey. We'll get there. I think we are, at the moment, we're seeing transient factors driving markets. The key question is whether we will see a super cycle. I think we will start to see a super cycle from mid-decade onwards when the energy transition really takes off. Key question for me is whether prices can be sustained at the high levels until the fundamentals catch up. Hmm. So it's not as easy as it must sound. If we are heading for a super cycle, stock up on commodity shares and, and don't worry about them, uh, they might actually become a lot cheaper before that super cycle yeah. kicks, in, kicks in. Yeah, we, I think that to, to, to take it, not, not that we travel much these days, but um, when you're taking off, the plane hits an air pocket, but then continues rising. We hope. So we think there'll be a little bit of an air pocket over the next couple of years, and then it will rise on, onwards and upwards. Julian Kettle is Senior Vice President and the Vice Chair of Metals and Mining at Wood Mackenzie. He was talking to us from London. Good stuff there, Stephen. Yes, it's, listen, the, the, the commodity boom uh, has bailed, I think I mentioned this before, has bailed South Africa out. It really has been a get-out-of-jail free card for us adding over $100 billion in tax revenues last year, over above uh, government expectations, and looking to continue and improve uh, this year. I think I saw that mining production was up, was it 21% year on year to March? So, you know, that is fantastic. Just bear in mind that the, weak, the, the stronger rand is a little bit of a dampener on that, so we're not getting the benefit of the uh, of the the, the currencies actually against us, but the actual commodity price is fantastic, and it's brilliant for South Africa. You know, what differentiates the African market, the JSE, 
is the high weighting in resources. So if you were sitting, let's say, in the US where resources is a small fraction, then you say, well, if I'm looking at my portfolio, should I have commodities? You know, they say commodities as an asset class as distinct from equities. Uh, in South Africa, for better or worse, we don't have to worry about that because if you own a diversified portfolio with Anglin, Billiton, et cetera, you know, you're getting these commodities anyway. So uh, hopefully uh, all South Africans, certainly those invested in markets and those in pension funds, are benefiting from this commodity boom. It's almost like we had NASPAS bailing us out over the past few years. They seem to have hit some some rough water. Maybe commodities are going to do the same for investors into the future. Yes, it looks like that. I mean, it's. Uh, I remember in 2006, uh, Anglo and Billiton were one-third. Uh, those two shares were one-third of the JC. I can't tell you what NASPES was. That's because it wasn't, it wasn't relevant. Uh, you know, maybe it was 2 or 3%. Whereas if we fast forward uh, just before the super cycle, just before the, the, the latest commodity boom, we had you know, NASPES together with process being something like 25% uh, of the JC. So, you know, that's kind of diversification for you, uh, is that you never really know when one's going to do better than the other. And hopefully you have uh, lots of good companies at different stages of the cycle that, uh, you know, that, that can perform better. And NASPES, I mean, NASPES uh, is a difficult one to call because it's so important to South Africans, yet it looks like management, you know, management's number one concern is to look after management. Uh, because if you want to unlock uh, shareholder value, the easiest thing to do is to unbundle Tencent. Um, but management's not incentivized to do that. They paid incredible salaries, uh, not you know, uh, uh, and they don't have to worry about uh, that 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 kind of uh, unlock value because if that were to happen, then I think their salaries would be uh, halved or even more. So it's a bit it's a bit of a conflict of interest, I I think. Um, but as you say, uh, Naspers has really got to look quite hard at itself because its 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 latest corporate action has not been well received. Everything it's trying doesn't seem to be working out. Stephen Nason, and uh, before him, we were chatting to Julian Kettle from Wood Mackenzie about the super cycle. Lovely insights that uh, Julian gave us there. Uh, also in tonight's program, our colleague Nadia Swat, who's going to be giving us the market reports uh, for the next couple of weeks while Justin is writing his, or studying rather, for his CFA. We also heard tonight from Anton van der Bell and Mark Barnes. If you missed part of the program or indeed you miss any part of the Biz News Power Hour, do remember that you can pick up the recording on biznewsradio.com. It's that simple. Just put that in your URL and there it is. Until the next time from our team here at Biz News and the next time hopefully is 5.30 tomorrow afternoon, it's cheerio. You've been listening to the Power Hour brought to you by the team at Biz News.